0: If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you were God and you wanted to convey to, uh, to people that you were a God who would welcome into his household deformed, crippled, spiritually speaking, crippled and deformed sinful human beings and that you would give them a place at your table, and that they would belong, and that they would be like your children. How would you communicate that? Um, if you were the Lord of all history, and you controlled everything, would you not cause an event like that to take place in real time and history? So that you weren't just saying those things on the words of a page, but that we could see it lived out in real people's lives, and we could read something in God's book that would say to us and show us, that's it, that's what he's done for me. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we can just take it as almost a random collection of stories that. Yeah, here's what happens in David's life. As if somebody's sitting down to, to write the story of David and they pick, you know, just what they can remember. Can anybody remember any stories about David, there was David and Goliath? And there's the time that he fought the lion and the bear. And uh, there's what he did with Bathsheba. Oh yeah, and then there was Mephibosheth. Let's put that in. That's not how it worked. Yes, somebody sat down and wrote First and Second Samuel. But, under the guidance of God, the Holy Spirit, they put in exactly what God the Holy Spirit wants them to put in and Why is this incident here is it Is it here to show us that David is a magnanimous king who shows mercy to uh, Saul's descendants? Well, yes, surely there's more to it than that, even the fact that there are phrases repeated over and over again. It's, it's like the writer's taken out a highlighter and, and put a, a, a fluorescent line through them. to say, hear this. Here's somebody who gets to sit at the king's table as one of the king's sons. And then as we're, we're reading through the Bible, we find in the Psalms, the Lord spreading a table for us in the presence of our enemies. As we come through to the New Testament, we find God the Son sitting at the table with sinners and feasting with them. So much so that the, the religious leaders said, Oh, him, sure, sure, he, he eats and drinks with the tax collectors and sinners. And then he says to his disciples, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done. Now here's what you do. Sit at a table. Take bread and wine. And do this till I come and take you to be with me where I am. And then I will drink again with you in the kingdom of God. You see, this this little incident here isn't just a a nice reminiscence from the life of David. It's part of the whole storyline of the Bible. And a storyline that meshes what happened this morning in the Lord's Supper with what uh we've been looking at at our evening services over the last number of weeks God adopting us and bringing us into his family and this is this story in second kings chapter nine I just love it I don't know why even when I was a child I loved it maybe it's the guy's name Mephibosheth you know and uh Wow, that's some name, until I found out what it meant, but we'll come to that later. Um, It just sounded like a tongue twister. Um, But that line that we mentioned this morning in verse 11, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. It's it's stated in a different form in verse 10. He will always eat at my table. Verse 11, So he ate at David's table. Uh, Verse 12, he will always, or he always ate at the king's table. Three times we're told it. It's a picture. It's happened in real history. When I talk sometimes about things being a picture, I don't mean that they didn't happen. They did happen. But it also points us forward to something that's true spiritually and will be true literally when Christ returns. It's a picture of the king's, son, king's sons at the king's table, and three things that we want to see this evening as we look at this. First of all, the nature of the king's sons who sit at the king's table. The nature of the king's sons who sit at the king's table. This man, Mephibosheth, is a son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, the king's uh, archenemy. And there are several things worth noting about Mephibosheth. Uh, First of all, he's lame. Twice in the passage, we're told that Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. If you flick back to chapter 4 and verse 4, you would find what happened. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, the death of his father and grandfather. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. So he's a young man. He's somewhere now in his late teens. Uh, He's crippled, uh, more or less from birth, permanently disfigured as a result of a fall. Um, And when people spoke about him, that's what they said. David tells Ziba, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled on both feet. doesn't even name him. It just says, oh, he's a cripple. That was how they thought of him. He was lame. He's from a bad family. There's something worse wrong with Mephibosheth. They were told twice he's lame. Five times we're told he's from the house of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. He's from David's enemy's family. He's the wrong stuff. He belongs to the old royal family, the family of David's enemy Saul. That brings us to the third thing. He's destined to die. That was the usual practice. Whenever a new king uh, took over a country, lest there be rebellion, he would execute the uh, sons or daughters of the previous king, uh, if it was a new dynasty. Um, we don't need to step outside Scripture to see this. In First Kings 15, we read that Baasha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa the king of Judah and succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign, he killed Jeroboam's whole family. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all. That was normal procedure. Wrong, immoral, ungodly. Um, but normal procedure. And in fact, Ishbosheth, um, Ishbosheth, Mephibosheth's uncle, who had been ruling, had already been killed by one of David's men. Although David uh, is outraged at this and the man is punished. Uh, this wouldn't have been David's practice, but Mephibosheth isn't to know that. And he's staring at the hangman's noose as far as he's concerned. He feels doomed to die. And there's nothing he can do. He can't flee. He can't take up the sword and march against David. Who's going to rally to the cause of some helpless cripple? There's nothing he can do in the face of a triumphant king. And he's got nothing to offer. Verse 7, we see that he has no property. He's nowhere of his own to live. He stays with someone called Machir. And Mephibosheth has nothing to offer the king. He couldn't appease him in any way. His very name means a shameful thing, a thing of shame. Imagine being called that a thing of shame. Uh, maybe it has been changed after uh, he was dropped um, an embarrassment. imagine being called that. And he came from sorry, he came from Lodabar. Uh, which means no grass, no pasture. Um, it's sort of like a keep out notice. Oh, where where have you bought land? Well, I'm thinking of buying land in no Debar, Low no Debar. Well, no, don't buy there. Uh, there's just no grass, no pasture. Keep out. So here's here's Mister Nobody who lives in Nowhere Land. He's got nothing. A nobody from nowhere, facing extermination who miss him? And the king summons him. Now how would you feel if you were in Mephibosheth's position? Well, he's afraid. Mephibosheth is desperately afraid. David has to tell him, don't be afraid. And our hearts go out for, to Mephibosheth. How sad it must have been for him. The privileged son of a prince. And he's a helpless cripple. And he's facing extinction, extermination. Here's a great picture of mankind. Every one of us is a Mephibosheth. We're all crippled from birth. Sinful from the time we were conceived, David describes it. We were damaged. I don't want to make too much of this, but play on words. We were damaged by a fall. Adam and Eve, when they they fell in Eden... That damaged us. We're damaged goods. We're from a bad family. We're from the family line of Adam. We're all destined to die because in Adam, Paul says, all die. And we're unable to help ourselves. And we're all, as it were, a thing of shame. And we all have nothing to give to the great king. And all we have is fear. Fear that the great king will one day summon us and And demand an accounting of us. That's the nature. That's our nature. That's who we are. And yet, the food in the king's table is going to be for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is pardoned by the great king. And he's invited to come and eat. And we sat this morning at the king's table... the same way Mephibosheth sat at the king's table. and The king's table is for those who have been pardoned, who have come humbly before the king, and we've got nothing to offer, and we can't help ourselves, but we get to sit at the king's table. The nature, or maybe we should have said the, or- the origin of, Or the background of the king's sons who sit at the king's table. That's who we are. But we get to sit at the king's table. There's a reason for thanksgiving. The second thing that we see is there is grace for the king's sons at the king's table. There's grace. David has just become king over Israel. He's... Chapter 2, he was made king over Judah. Um, and then there's a long war with Saul's family. In chapter 5, he's crowned king of, of everything, the whole of the, the nation. In chapter 6, he captures Jerusalem. In chapter 8, he goes to war with his enemies, north, south, east, and west. And here he is as the all-conquering, triumphant, victorious king. And the practice was to slaughter all rivals to the throne. And so here's Mephibosheth, the only remaining member of Saul's family. The only one left who could claim the throne and depose, uh, David. And David has just returned from destroying all foreign armies. And he summons Mephibosheth to see him. And Mephibosheth knows what is expected. And David says to him, as we've noted, don't be afraid. At the very best, Mephibosheth might have hoped for that David wouldn't notice him then he gets a summons no no david has noticed me he knows i exist then he may have hoped that david would show mercy that david would say look i know you're from the family of uh, dear uh, from of saul but i won't hold that against you i'll show you mercy i'll let you off the hook but the whole tone of this chapter and again there's a word that's repeated <coughs> I think, I think three times, is grace. It's translated kindness, but it's, it's the Hebrew word for grace. God's undeserved favor. Grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy would say to Mephibosheth, it's okay, I'll not kill you, just go and get on with your life. Grace says to him, no, 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 come and sit at my table. As one of my sons. Come and sit here. It's undeserved love. David makes it clear that this is his intent. Verse 3. Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness or God's grace? It's not just that David is a big man. This is, this is him aware that he has to show the kindness that God would show. Um, I've been reading a book on the Nuremberg war trials, and about the chaplain, a man called Henry gericke and one of the most amazing things about this man he had he had gone to play, the places like Dachau, the concentration camp. He said that he had rubbed his hand along a wall and it had come away still damp with blood. And then he was given the task of being chaplain to some of the highest-ranking Nazis. Men who were directly responsible for Dachau and Belsen and Auschwitz, and they wondered, what should I do when I meet these men? And he, he was repulsed by them. And the first day when he was taken into uh, the first the cell of the first of these men was a man called Rudolf Hess. Um, Third in command uh, for behind third behind Hitler in command of the the Reich um, Gare said, I walked in I held out my hand to shake it he says he didn't want anything to take away from the opportunity he had to present the gospel, and he said, I remembered. That my father is an all-loving father. And I remembered that in the gospel, he held out his hand to me. And I didn't deserve it. Wow. That's what David does here. Jericho showed not just mercy, but he went beyond that. And David goes beyond it here. He goes beyond it. In verse 7. When he meets Mephibosheth, he tells him, I will surely show you kindness. I will surely show you grace. He doesn't let Mephibosheth just out of the hangman's noose. He brings him to the table and provides for him there. And we might be cynical and say, I ah, just want to keep an eye on this fellow and see where he's at and know just where he is. But that's not the tone of the chapter. And the tone of the chapter is grace, grace, grace. As one of the king's sons, as one of the king's sons. And why does David do this? It's because he's bound by a covenant. A promise that he made 20 years previous. Before Mephibosheth was born. To his father Jonathan. To Mephibosheth's father Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20 verse 14. Jonathan asks, Show me unfailing Kindness like that of the Lord. Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And in chapter 8, God has cut off all of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And now David goes looking to keep his promise. And so we have grace and mercy shown to Mephibosheth because of a promise made before he was even born. And here's a mirror of God's grace to us as the king's sons and daughters. David took the initiative. Verse 1, he asked. Likewise, God took the initiative with us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. As we heard this morning, to all whom the Lord our God will call. He called us. He summoned us. He worked in us. And David acted on the basis of a covenant made with Jonathan before Mephibosheth was born. And God acts on the basis of a covenant made between the Father and the Son before the world was even made. We didn't deserve it. Mephibosheth didn't deserve it. But the father covenanted with the son. The, the son and the father would pour out mercy and grace on us. David even compelled Mephibosheth to come. And likewise, God compels us to come. He stirred our hearts into love for him while we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Mephibosheth is brought to the table not because of anything in himself, but simply because the king is gracious. And we've come to the table. Here's the grace that the king's sons discover as they sit at the king's table. Here is the overflowing generosity of the king to cripples like us. This is our God. This is why David acts like this. Is there anyone that I can show the Lord's kindness to he gets what God the Father is like and he, he acts that way. And the Holy Spirit records it here because he wants us to get what God the Father is like. So we've had the, the, the background of the sons who sit at the king's table, the grace that the sons who sit at the king's table enjoy, and the promises that belong to the sons who sit at the king's table. The promises is the third thing. The promises, more promises. The promises this morning, more this evening. Verse 7 is the, the heart of the chapter. Do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. In fact, it's four times. I missed Four times it's underlined that he eats at the king's table. Um, three promises here. A promise of protection. A promise of protection. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Don't be afraid. I will surely show you grace for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Jonathan. Mephibosheth stands before the king as the sole survivor of a doomed regime. And yet, instead of ordering his execution, David says, Don't be afraid. He stands before the king who holds his life in his hands and he hears the king say, Don't be afraid. And when we came to the table today, the king says to us, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like David did with Mephibosheth. We don't need to fear being in the king's presence. The king says, said to us today, Come and sit at my table. It's okay. It's okay. You don't need to fear. And we know even better than Mephibosheth because we can see why we don't need to fear. Because our sins have been dealt with, there's a price that's been paid for our forgiveness. When Mephibosheth came to the king's table, he was reminded that he was under the king's protection. Nobody could harm him now. His his greatest threat had been King David. But now he's safe because David has welcomed him to his table. And our greatest threat was God. We had to stand before him. But now we've come before him. And he said, I've forgiven you. I've cancelled your debts. Sit at my table and eat. A promise of protection. There's a promise of provision. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat. So Mr. Nobody, who didn't even have a place, is given a place. And it's, it's... It's not just rubbish land, it's the land that had belonged to his grandfather Saul. And David restores the land to him. He gave back what belonged to Saul's family and he commands Ziba and his servants to work the land. And he provides an income then for Mephibosheth. And he provides a place at his table and he provides food to eat. Four times in the passage, Mephibosheth was to come and eat. He wasn't to be in his own He was to come and eat from a full table. Not just any table. He was to come and eat from a king's table. Imagine what the food's like at the king's table. And he's to come and to sit. He's not to sit in nowhere land uh, on his own. And, you know, just all miserable and abandoned. David says, I want you to sit at my table and eat my food with my sons like a prince, not on your own, but with my family. And that's what God says to us. The lonely find a family in God's family. We find brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what it is to be adopted into God's family. Our father, the king, says, sit at my table. I'll provide for you. Come and sit with my people. Not just at the Lord's table, but every week and throughout the week. Know that you have got these people as your people. Mephibosheth is never again going to be hungry or lonely or poor. And as we look at David's provision and see how abundant it is, he not only spares his life, but he heaps goodness on him. We see something of what God does for us and how abundant his provision is for us. Here's the promise of provision. This is what belongs to the king's sons. Here's an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament reality. As we come to the king's table today, we're reminded of so many things. We're reminded of the provision that's been made for us, that our sins have been forgiven, that forgiveness has been purchased. We're reminded of the food that God gives us to strengthen our souls. We're reminded of the, the promise that one day we will sit in the kingdom of heaven with all of God's people, that Christ is coming back and that everything will be made new. And that we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. A promise of provision. And then thirdly, a promise of position. There's protection, there's provision, and there's position. You will always eat at my table. Not just the day he's in Jerusalem. Come and join with us today. Wow, what a privilege. What a story to go back and tell. I ate at the king's table. No, he isn't going back. He's not going back to Lodabar, to no grass, to no pasture. He's going to live in the palace in Jerusalem and eat at the king's table. This is his position. Mephibosheth had been one of Saul's sons, as it were. Grandson, but one of Saul's sons. And David says to him in verse 11, effectively, You will be one of my sons. The enemy is turned into a son. He's not sent to sit like a servant or a slave. He says, Well, what do you want with a dead dog like me? He's not going to be treated like a stray, he's going to be treated like a son. Here is the position and the honor that's heaped on Mephibosheth. And you know, you can imagine him coming, limping in to the, the table and you can hear the, the staggered footstep, uh, the offbeat of the sound as he comes to the table. And yet he sits down. And he belongs at that table as much as any of the rest of the king's sons. When we come to our father, And we come to the king's table. We're reminded that we are enemies made sons. This is our position. And we're reminded that we are no longer nobodies. The world might see us as nobodies, like they would see Mephibosheth as a nobody. But we are somebodies. We are sons and daughters of the king. That's who we are. Imagine the joy Mephibosheth must have felt as he came to the table and took his seat with the other sons. And what joy, how that joy would have grown over time as he realized, I get to do this. This is my place. As he saw more and more of the king's provision. And so as we look at Mephibosheth, we're reminded of these three promises that belong to us as children of God. There's protection. There's provision. And there's position. Those are the promises that belong to the king's sons and daughters as they sit at the king's table. David said to Mephibosheth, come and eat. And Christ has said to us, come and eat so that we can remember that we belong at this table, and if we we sit at his table in this life, we will sit at his table in the life to come. The last verse is a helpful verse to finish with. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. It seems a bit of a downer, doesn't it? A bit of a damper at the end, and he was crippled in both feet. He's still had his problems. Life wasn't all rosy for him. He's treated as a son of the king. He's got all these privileges, but he still has problems. And the same's true for us. We still bear the scars of sin in our lives. We are, are lame, in a sense. We're not made sparklingly new yet. But like the lame in Scripture, we look forward to To the day when, as Isaiah puts it, the lame will leap leap like a deer. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their their heads. And gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. The day will come when we're made new. And we're made perfect. And until that time, the king still says to as flawed as we are, come and sit at my table. We may be Mephibosheths, but we are the king's Mephibosheth. And on the one hand, there's no reason why we should be at the table. It's beyond our understanding. And yet on the other hand, we come to the table and we come continually to enjoy it because we're sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And he says, sit at my table as one of my sons. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful jewel in the Old Testament that you crafted and placed, as it were, in the earth of history for us to find and to pull out of the ground of the Old Testament, and to let the rays of the gospel shine on it and refract through it, for us to see a splendour that is more apparent to us than perhaps was apparent to David. We can see in this not just a beautiful incident from history, but a beautiful portrayal of what is true now, today, and what will be not history but what will be our future for all eternity. We thank you for that. We thank that although we are flawed and lame and fallen and from the wrong family and deserve death and judgment, that you give us not mercy, but grace. You give us more than we could ever have asked for. And you make us your sons and daughters. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the provision you make. We praise you for the protection that is ours and how Mephibosheth has the protection of the king and how we have the protection of the king. We thank you. And we thank you too for the position that is ours. Sons and daughters of the king of kings with a place at your table forever and ever. Father, Father, Help us to be loyal to you like Mephibosheth was loyal to King David. Even when all seemed lost later on in David's life, when things seemed to be going against him, we thank you that Mephibosheth sets the pattern for us that he kept his loyalty and didn't turn away from trusting uh, in David and being loyal to David. And Help us, no matter what goes on in our lives, not to turn away Uh, From our loyalty to you, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.